David Mamet, and Ben Shapiro. Mr. Reagan. Do you find that since you've become more overtly conservative politically, uh, that that's had any impact on how the critics treat your work, or have they been fair? Interjected into this, as all human endeavors, are hangers-on and parasites and camp followers, which is what critics have traditionally been. (laughs) I love this characterization of critics. What do you need to do to be able to write dramatic criticism? You need to have a lack of talent uh, to write sports. (laughs) So that's true. And generally, they've been the bane of my existence. You can't survive in the United States as a playwright until you please the people in New York. And since a a political conversion, uh, the press in New York, has, especially the New York Times, has been vicious. And in effect, I wrote this book, which is on everybody's bestseller list. And the question is, how did the New York Times review it? And the answer is, they didn't. Mm. They just chose not to review Okay, so, well, as they used to say in the 19th century, the doctors used to say, we have to wait and let the disease declare itself. So as we've seen now, In our country politically, the disease has declared itself. This is a hard reality about the art world in general. It's not just Hollywood. It's, you know, the art world in New York, everywhere. A lot of my subscribers have asked me to talk a little bit about myself personally. Um, I am a writer. Uh, I've been writing since I was about seven years old. Um, you may have guessed that from my the book I recently self-published in two volumes, <laughs> now available on Amazon. So that is actually the reason that I moved to Los Angeles. It was to develop a career in screenwriting. I have written countless television pilots and feature films, and I can tell you that I have had almost zero of these scripts read by industry professionals. It is an incredibly difficult town to succeed in generally, but I do think it's particularly difficult for conservatives. It is for this reason that this interview is of particular importance to me. It's well known in this town that if you tell anyone you're a conservative, they will not work with you. I do think that that's a terrible shame that there are so few conservatives in this town and that I have so very few opportunities to network and meet people who are like-minded and share my political perspective. Honestly, there's a lot about this town I don't like, the nepotism, the focus on the SJW agenda, and the whole networking thing in general. I literally know male models in Hollywood who have been approached by gay producers and told that if they sleep with them, they will make their career happen. That's real. That's a real thing. So I wrote a play, uh, a piece for New York Times called Political Civility, based very much on the teachings of my uh, uh, great friend and great teacher, Rabbi Mordecai Finley. And he said, okay, we, I, we said in the piece, we have to be civil to each other. I said, we have to be able to state the other person's point of view in such a way they say, yes, that's what I mean. And then they ask me, and I have to, and they, and I have to be able to state their point of view, and they say, yes, that's what I mean. And then we're going to adduce facts upon which we can agree. We say, if we can't agree on them, throw them off the table. All we're going to have on the table is facts upon which we agree. And then we'll reason from those facts. And if I come, let us reason together to see if we can uh, uh, arrive at some mutual understanding. Political civility. (laughs) This is great. This is all great. I mean, it's funny because he was a leftist at the time he was writing this stuff, right? But he was essentially writing about the stuff that we talk about, like, you know, that that the people on the right are always talking about. Like, this is the kind of discourse that we need to have. And he was calling for this kind of discourse as a leftist, which I think, I think that shows that he already kind of had the foundation for 
you know, his political turn. So I suppose if you were to read that, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been surprising that he did walk away or get red-pilled or whatever you want to call it. So I sat down for a couple of years and I wrote a book called The Secret Knowledge about politics and uh, did a whole lot of reading, a whole lot of thinking, trying to reason my way through to an understanding of the political process, which hurt like hell because I had to uh, uh, recognize that what I had accepted as the way things are were simply prejudices and examine them to see if I could to see if there was any truth in them or not. I love this. I love that he says the way he he perceived the world was merely a set of prejudices. This is entirely in keeping with my fantasy world theory of the left, right? So I mentioned this recently in my Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray video. I recently come to the conclusion that the left is prone to accepting imagined things about the world as true, right? I think that the right-wing person prides himself or herself on pragmatism. And being a pragmatist, being a practical person, one strives to perceive the world as it is, not how they want it to be. But the leftist brain, a very sort of like artsy brain, wants to believe that the world can be certain ways so that the things that they want to happen can happen. And that's a lovely way to think of the world. It's just incorrect. When Mamet says that his worldview was essentially just a series of prejudices, that is precisely what I'm talking about, right? The two fundamental fantasies that all of leftist ideology is built upon. One, straight white men are evil. And two, all other ethnicities, all foreigners, essentially everyone who is not a straight white man, they're the good guys. They're all the angelic, historically oppressed people who we must prioritize with regard to every political issue. Straight white men bad, everybody else good. In a way, Mamet is kind of saying the same thing, right? His worldview was based on these prejudices, and this is how I think all of leftist ideology is. Once Mamet realized that, he said, I cannot appropriately function within the world if my worldview is not accurate, right? So he then shifted. And this is why I now say, although it's extremely controversial, every idea they have on the left is corrupted by a foundation in fantasy. I can analogize it this way. Say a physicist wanted to figure out what the impact of a stapler falling from one kilometer in the air hitting the ground would be. Say he makes a calculation based on the velocity produced by gravity, 3.8 meters per second squared. Now, he would come up with a brilliant answer. It would seem very impressive that he knew how to do that and everything like that to the common man, but he would only be accurate if the stapler were falling on Mars. If the stapler were falling here on Earth, you would have to use 9.8 meters per second squared. And this is kind of how I see the left calculating ideas to improve the world. Yes, the intention is good. A lot of them might be brilliant people, but they're working with the wrong numbers. If you're working with the wrong numbers, you can never get the correct solution. And so this is the problem, right? If all of leftist ideology is based in fantasy, none of it can ever really work. Now listen, you're always going to have people with left-wing proclivities, right? People who think in an artistic, creative way. People who are very empathetic. People who are incredibly compassionate and just want to help other people. If we can encourage the left to think about everything rationally, as it is, and we can work together to solve true injustices in the world, 
then we would actually have true progress, both social and political. But we've got to start from a practical foundation set firmly in reality. Well, yeah, I was watching yesterday that the great Tucker Carlson, I'm crazy about him. He had some cockamamie, I think, Democrat, something or other, you know, uh, congressman or something like that. And he says to the, the guy, the Democrat, he says, wait a second. He says, you guys got nothing left in a golf bag. So what in the world are you going to run on in the midterms? And the guy says, economic justice and social justice. What does economic justice mean at the end? How is that different than justice, right? It's communism. What it means is someone, it's statism. It means that someone is going to uh, stand above whatever rules we have for commerce and decide what's just to whom. So much for economic justice. I thought social justice, how's that different than decaf justice? Social justice means there's no line. Whoever's screaming loudest gets to say, this is what you have to do. So you say, wait a second, let's refer to the line, let's refer to the law. They say, no, no, throw out that law. The law is insufficient. Because social justice is fascism. That's what it means. It means that the group of people who has screams the loudest gets to determine what the law is, and that always ends in murder. Okay, I tried to condense what he said here a bit, but uh, basically his position is that economic justice, right, is code for the redistribution of wealth, communist style. And social justice is a kind of fascism where the oppressors are those screaming, I'm a victim, and the oppressed are those that they're blaming for their victimhood. These are two brilliant and absolutely accurate observations. New releases on demand movies. Most of these movies are garbage, and not only are they garbage, they're a certain they're a form of cultural obscenity. Most modern movies are a form of cultural obscenity. I this is one of the most poetic criticisms of contemporary cinema I have ever heard. I absolutely love it. Because they're either kiss kiss or bang bang. They're either simulated or non-simulated sex or they're, they're a sadomasochistic, sadomasochistic fantasy of violence. So I'm thinking, well, okay, left, right? Okay, Hollywood, if you're really interested in not mistreating women, don't do, don't do the sex scene. Not knock it off. Learn how to write for the love of <laughs> right? Because that's why the sex scene's in there, because people can't write. I say, if you're really interested in doing away with gun violence, why do you have a gun in every poster of every movie ever made, where are people shooting each other? Why are they carving each other up? Well, the reason is that the people who write these things don't have any, don't have any skin in the game because they can't write very well. So if they don't get any joy out of figuring out a plot, what they're going to do is they're going to put the, you know, um, Adolf's meat tenderizer in everything, which is either sex or violence. Yes, yes, yes. I actually spent several years in my 20s uh, writing with a very particular rule that I would not inject any sex or any violence into any story I wrote. I do now inject some violent content and some sexual content into some of my stories when appropriate. But the reason that I took those years off from writing about sex or violence is that I realized exactly what David Mamet is saying here. That it's very easy to create tension or excitement in any story by including sex or violence. It's a cheap way to write. It's a, it's a crutch. It's what bad writers do to make bad writing seem interesting. And I wanted to challenge myself. I wanted to make myself a better writer. And that's exactly what happened. I do believe genuinely that it is absolutely necessary to detoxify your consciousness from the contamination caused by the overbearing redundancy of these cheap elements injected into almost 
every contemporary piece of fiction. When people go to see a movie, do you think that that actually has the capacity to shift how people think? No, 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 absolutely not. Well, I don't know, but that's good. It's a good question because it doesn't have the capacity to make people better, which is the other obscenity that movies are supposed to raise our consciousness, right? By, by saying deaf people are people too, black people are people too, gay people are people. The only people who aren't people too, you'll notice, are the Jews. That we Jews are not people too, but nonetheless. So movies don't make people better. So the question is, I think, hydraulically, I have to say, do movies make people worse? i got to say probably not. Incorrect. Here, I 100% disagree with David Mamet. I was deeply influenced by the adventure shows that I watched as a kid. And I have met countless people whose favorite television show or film drastically altered the trajectory of their lives. That's not a joke. That's real. I also found that in like the early 2000s, the show Sex and the City deeply affected many women. I can tell you there were a lot of girls I met who were far more aggressive with me than they would have otherwise been had it not been for that television show. I also knew a lot of girls who involved themselves with guys physically that they never would have involved themselves with had it not been for that show. And this devastated a lot of these girls psychologically. Television shows and movies can absolutely negatively impact how a person thinks and acts. And, and the opposite is also true. You can, you can absolutely teach somebody things through television and, and film. I don't even know why David Mamet wouldn't recognize that. That's so, such a bizarre thing. I mean, there's, I mean, it's kind of like a universally accepted reality, right? The pen is mightier than the sword. That's like, that's like an, a very old thing, right? I don't even... I don't, was that Shakespeare? I don't even know. Not that I have lost any respect. Still a big David Mamet fan. But I totally disagree with him about the, the potential negative or positive effects that, that film and television can have. What concerns me is blacklisting in Hollywood. Because, uh, you know, I've been in show business for 50 years, and I know that, the, that I get tales all the time. Of, and people come up to me on the street, and they'll say, oh, Mr. Mamet, and they'll whisper, they say, you know, I read your book. I don't know. Man, that's sick. I mean, because everybody who's not above the line, which is to say a featured player in Hollywood, is in the closet if they're a conservative because they'll lose their job. Absolutely right. Sick. Sick is, is right. Eventually, the people on the left have to stop screaming. I mean, I don't know what their, their program for this wonderful country is other than hatred of, of Donald Trump. That's not a program. But as they say, people who don't believe in something will believe in anything. David Mamet is truly a brilliant man. I've really only analyzed very selectively this interview. There is a lot more content to see. It's rich with valuable insights and funny, charming little moments. I highly recommend watching the original interview with uh, Ben Shapiro. The, the link is in the description. My writing partner, Kurt, actually bought David Mamet's book, The Secret Knowledge, on the dismantling of American culture. He read it, he loved it, and then he let me borrow it. I read it, I loved it. And we've been even bigger fans of David Mamet ever since. Kurt and I were already both huge fans of Untouchables. I mean, it's like a modern classic, right? Who doesn't love the Untouchables? Brilliant work of 1980s cinema. Yeah, but uh, ever since we read that book, we've just thought David Mamet is like the coolest guy ever. So, well, that's it for me. I have a Patreon set up, so if you want to contribute to the channel, please do that. I've also got some Mr. Reagan merchandise I designed. And then I have my book of short stories, which I think is absolute genius, but I am a little biased. Um, all of these things have links in the description, so if you feel like exploring these options, please do. All right, well, if you like this video, hit the like button. If you want to see more videos like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, why are you still watching this video? I mean, you watched all the way to the end. That's kind of masochistic. Good night. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. 
Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's old age dream. The ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order. Or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. <laughs>